Um, it, is, it is great to be here. Um, I'm Stu. I am husband to Emma. I am son to Mervyn and Alwyn, brother to Richard. Um, so anything you disagree with, you can take it up with my parents because <laughs> it's the way that they raised me. Um, it's, it's so good to be here. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. As a church family, you are spending the next few months unpacking the story from the early church in Acts. This incredible account that begins with Christ's commission to go and to be witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and going to the ends of the earth, including Balnehinch. And this is an incredible account. You're going to be in for a treat over the next few weeks, as you see thousands of people come to faith, as you see courage and persecution, healings, miracles, the good news of Christ and his kingdom communicated so that it speaks right to the heart of culture. You will see cities turned upside down. Acts is such a good book. And yet, as you explore the story of Acts over the next few months, there's something that's really important to remember. Yes, this was the origins of the early church, and because of that, it should be celebrated. But we shouldn't look back to the story of Acts full of nostalgia, thinking that that, that, that was the golden age of the church. No, actually, I think we should humbly yet confidently approach Acts as the blueprint of what is normal for the church no matter the age that she finds herself in. As a good friend of mine puts it, whenever we look at Acts, what we see is bog-standard, ordinary, normal Christianity. And centuries may have passed and things may look different, but I firmly believe that Acts is the playbook of what is possible for the church today. And why? Because of the consistent presence of the Holy Spirit the one who breathed a new kind of life into the early church on the day of Pentecost, but because of that day also breathed the same spirit into us today. All of the activity, all of the actions, all of the works that you're going to see over the course of the next few weeks with ordinary, normal people like you and me stepping so far beyond themselves and seeing transformation taking place around them was only possible because of the equipping and the empowering of the promised Holy Spirit. And as it was for them on the day of Pentecost, so it is also with us. Now, before I get started some of you are thinking, yes, it's Holy Spirit morning. Like you guys are already stretching for the ministry time. You are ready to go. And some of you are also thinking, Oosh, can we just pretend that the chicken's burning and go home? Like we don't want to be swinging from any gym bars or anything later. Now, <laughs> it's okay to call out that each of us come from different places whenever it comes to the Holy Spirit. That is a normal thing and that is totally okay. There's no need to be ashamed about that. And yet, so often what we tend to do as Christians, particularly Christians in Northern Ireland, we tend to box the Holy Spirit into a particular framework. Most of the time, that framework is based on our experiences of the Holy Spirit. And yet, 
I believe, and I'm using these words really intentionally here, I believe that whenever we grasp a truly biblical and holistic understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit, everyone, regardless of your framework, gets challenged by the depth and the power and the possibilities that are found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're the most charismatic or whether you're the most cessationist, I truly believe that whenever you actually engage in the scriptures, you can't get help but be challenged by the reality of the Holy Spirit alive amongst us. The Holy Spirit wasn't done after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is alive and he is well. And he is constantly inviting us to take hold of our truest identity, a people, a new people, released out to declare the nearness of the kingdom of heaven amongst us in the places that we find ourselves every day. John Stott puts it like this, and remember, you can never argue with John Stott. He says this, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. And this is the kicker. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. And let me lay a bit of a foundation for what we're going to explore this morning. One of the best descriptions of the person of the Holy Spirit that I can find is in the words of Gordon Fee. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. He is God. He is a family member of the Trinity. He is a relational being. He is not a force. He is not a thing. He is a friend. He is in relationship with the Father, with the Son, and also with us as the people of God. He is also present. Because of Pentecost, he is present within us. From that moment that you gave your life to Jesus, whenever you started following him, the Holy Spirit began to dwell in you. Galatians 4 verse 6 says this, Because your sons or your daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And yet, despite the Holy Spirit being present, dwelling within us, despite us already having received him, he is constantly inviting us to experience a more intimate, deeper, experiential relationship with him. And all the time, he is transforming us into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. And finally, he empowers just like the Spirit of God did at the baptism of Jesus, empowering him for his ministry, so too does the Spirit empower us to continue the mission of Christ. One thing that I want to make really clear this morning is that sometimes we can limit the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We think that it is simply just for ministry moments in church, or it is for the use of the gifts amongst Christians. And yes, of course that is true. But to simply leave it at that is to limit, I believe, his role for the church. Because he is the one that empowers us to be the sent ones, to leave this place, to be the people that see cities turned upside down and to see the kingdom of heaven unfold around us. And so with all of that, with that foundation in mind of God's empowering presence, 
can I encourage you, regardless of where you've come from this morning, regardless of your experience of the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you to open yourself up to the depth of the Holy Spirit's character and the breadth of what is possible for each of us through his empowerment in your life. And so with that in mind, I'm going to be quiet for a few moments. And in the silence, can I encourage you all to open yourself up to, at the very least, the possibility, if not the probability, that through the public reading of the Scriptures and through the work that the Holy Spirit is always doing in and through our lives, that in this moment and in this morning, Jesus may want to draw us closer to himself and lead us from this place in the way of his kingdom. So let's be silent, shall we? Come, Holy Spirit. You're here, and we are here. Give us ears to listen, a mind to hold, and a heart to comprehend what you are inviting us into. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of God's empowering presence in two minutes. Buckle up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit, the breath or the wind of God was hovering over the waters of the deep. And out of the ground, man was created and yet it is through the breath of God, the spirit of God that he comes alive. In Eden, God finds a sanctuary, a garden-like temple, a place for him to be present with his people. Yet Adam and Eve leave this garden temple due to their sin. They are desiring more than the presence of God in their lives. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, we see occasions where by grace, God longs to dwell with his people again. We see his desire to dwell with us. In Exodus 19, we see God's presence descending upon Mount Sinai. The mountain place becomes a dwelling place for God. God commands then his children to build a sanctuary, a home for his glory, a place for his divine presence to dwell. And so the tabernacle is built. Centuries later, Solomon would build a more permanent home for the presence of God, the temple in Jerusalem. Yet only one man, one day a year on Yom Kippur, was able to enter into the inner sanctuary and encounter God's presence. Yet Israel turns away from God. They worship other gods. And so they're led into exile in Babylon, left without God's presence. And yet the story is not over. The voice of the prophets arise and they speak 
of a future temple of the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will put my flesh in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Joel says, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And the prophets were longing, they were longing for the Messiah to come. Jesus, the one whom whom John describes as the one who became flesh and dwelt amongst us, or in the Greek, tabernacled amongst us. The one who laid down the God card and became a man, Jesus of Nazareth, yet one who became a sanctuary, a dwelling place, a temple for the presence of God, one whom God would empower to go and declare that God's kingdom had come. The one who with his final breath allowed the veil of the curtain in the temple to be torn in two, breaking down the barrier for all time between God's presence and his people. The one who breathed his Holy Spirit on his disciples as a sign of what was to come. And the one who said, wait. The story continues in Acts chapter 2. Let me just open up my Bible to that. This is the story of the temple feast of the first fruits in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place, and then suddenly there came from heaven like a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one of them was speaking, sorry, each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And then... Uh, Luke goes on to write about names. I can't really pronounce all those place names, so I'm just going to avoid them completely. These people were able to hear their own tongue, their mother tongue in Jerusalem that day. We hear that, um, I'm going to pick up in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking. They said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all, of, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This will sound familiar. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs in the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Throughout the story of God, he has always sought a space, 
a home for his empowering presence to dwell. A garden, a mountain, a tabernacle, a temple, a sun. And yet, as the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem that day and experienced the fire and the wind of heaven, the Spirit found a new place for them to dwell. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you, this is you plural, so for us, yous or usins, do you not know that usins are God's temple, you the church, and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then three chapters later, he goes on to say, to speak to us individually, that your body as a disciple of Jesus, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God no longer needs a temple or a building to dwell in. Because of Pentecost, the disciples and every single disciple that has followed up to this day and into the future has been filled already by the power of the Holy Spirit. What was promised from old, from the prophets, is now a reality. Disciple, brothers, sisters, your body is a dwelling place for God's empowering presence. Grace Fellowship, your church. Your community, your church family is a dwelling place of God's empowering presence. And that changes everything. In John chapter 20, after Jesus had rose from the dead, he said these words to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And as a taste of what was to come only a few weeks later at this day in Pentecost, Jesus breathes his Holy Spirit onto them. This is a commission to continue the mission of Jesus. Jesus gave it to us himself. And yet because of Pentecost, it is also an invitation to do it in the same power that Jesus had. The exact same power that Jesus had. Luke, who is also the author of Acts, in Luke 4, 14, highlights to us at the start of Jesus' ministry that his capacity to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to have the depth of compassion that he had, to speak prophetically into people's lives, to call people to himself, this capacity came because of, and I'm going to quote here from Luke, it became possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that dwells in you and me. Jesus was invited to do all of these works as a man, as Jesus of Nazareth, one equipped and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has invited us to do his works. And as he says in the most confusing passage of scripture ever, John 14, he has also invited us to do even greater works than him because he is with the Father and he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is our prototype. Whenever we look at Jesus in the Gospels, what we see is our prototype, our example of what it looks like to be a Christian who is set ablaze because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who is risking and daring to step into the fullness of what is made possible because of the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is the moment that we as individuals and us as the church have been sealed and set ablaze by the Spirit of Christ. That as Peter preaches in verse 33 of, of Acts 2, we are now filled with the same promised Holy Spirit 
that Jesus had so that we would continue to do his works. We're to be a people. I know I'm kind of getting really basic here, but I think it's important to say we're to be a people who practice the way of Jesus. That whenever we see Jesus do things in the Gospels, we are invited to do exactly the same thing. To share the good news, to teach the way of the kingdom, to heal the sick, to eat and drink with those people who are far from God, to pray, to do justice, to prophesy, to make peace. And this is what we've been called to. This is what being a Christian looks like. This is what the activity of the church is to be like. And it is made possible in and through our lives because of the enabling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The church in Acts got a hold of this. As Peter heard these words, as he received the Holy Spirit, he stepped up and preached the story of God in such an incredible way. He preaches in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people came to faith that day. On day one, 3,000 people. And in that, what we see is God's intention is that there was always to be a continuance between Jesus' ministry and our ministry. It is the same with the same power enabling us. Nothing has changed. The Holy Spirit has remained exactly the same. Jesus' commission on our lives remains exactly the same. God's Spirit dwells in us, and yet things can look a bit, I'm going to use the word calmer today, can't they? What would it look like for you as individual disciples of Jesus and for you as a church community to reclaim our heritage as those empowered by the Holy Spirit? What would it look like for you to go on and to continue the mission of Christ in Balnehinch or your workplace or with your neighbors or with your friends? What would it look like for us to reclaim this? And let me ground all of this with three things. The three things that I want to explore together are longing, communion, and faith. Firstly, longing. And I've only got one question to say about this. Whenever you look, and I I mean this question honestly, and I do want you to actually answer this within yourself or go away and reflect about it. But whenever you look at the call of Jesus and the power made available at Pentecost and the story of the early church, I've got to ask, do you want it? Do do you want that? Do you want to see that happen in this town? Do you long for that? With all the changes that it would mean for you and your family and this church, all the changes that it would make in this town, all the risks and all the courage involved and all the divine purpose that you'd be stepping into, do you want it? I mean that question honestly. Do you want that? Do you look at the church in Acts and think, yes, I'm all in on that. I want that. With that, all I can say is doing things in your own strength is playing it safe. Second thing is communion. Paul writes to the Galatian church 
in uh, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. I, I love this analogy. It is it's so simple on one level. This invitation to walk and step with the Holy Spirit. That as he steps, so too are we to step with him. But in ancient Judaism, to walk also referred to a whole way of life. It is of utmost importance for us as followers of Jesus Christ to develop a rich and deep relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. He is not a force but a friend. He is the counselor, the helper. And like all flourishing relationships, we find our foundation with him through investment and and intentionality and also, most importantly, intimacy. If we are truly temples of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't want to just override us like robots. He's not some kind of puppet master that takes over our bodies and does things on our behalf. He invites us into partnership. And yes, of course, his divine activity will always outweigh our own personal activity, but God is inviting us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that together we would do the will of the Father. I've come to see that life with the Spirit is a life, um, sorry for the complicated slide, Um, I'll explain it now, that life with the Spirit is a life of formation and encounter, that together contribute to the ongoing process of transformation. Let me explain. Walking with the Spirit involves formation. The slow, day-by-day disciplines of spiritual formation where we intentionally engage with Jesus, where we learn from him, where we experience his presence and are being discipled into increasing maturity. So we are to be obedient, to practice the way of the rabbi, to engage in the spiritual disciplines. Just like what Dave led us through earlier, to practice confession, the reading of the scriptures, the gathering with the community, service of the poor, engaging with the sacraments, silence and solitude, and I could go on. We are to prioritize spiritual disciplines in our everyday lives. And yet as we practice this long, slow obedience in the same direction, we are also to live with the openness and the expectancy that the Holy Spirit will encounter us in significant ways, cutting through time and allowing us to experience him in new ways. There are times, aren't there, whenever the Holy Spirit just breaks through, allowing us to experience his power in incredible ways. This may be seen through the prophetic, through a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. It may be hearing him in a new way, We can see this through a healing taking place or change in a community that we thought would never happen. It may be the release of a habit or a pattern of sin that we've tried to break out of for so long and actually it is the Holy Spirit that comes and breaks us out of it, allowing us to experience freedom. Life with the Spirit involves both of these dynamics. The long obedience of spiritual formation, which is our responsibility, by the way, and an openness to encounter, which is his responsibility and his grace. And as we step with the Holy Spirit, as we partner with him, he leads us as he promises on the ongoing journey towards becoming more like Jesus. And this is incredibly key 
Because sometimes we can look at Acts chapter 2 and other passages in which the Holy Spirit is alive and well and we think, yes, we want this and we rush out of here, we start stuff and yet we do it without the heart or the capacity to hold the things of the Holy Spirit in a mature way. I firmly believe that transformation, that the transformation that we long to see in culture, in society, in our towns is interwoven with the transformation that takes place in the depths of our interior lives. Because what happens within fuels kingdom activity in two ways. Firstly, as we grow into the likeness of Jesus, we also develop his heart. The character of the Holy Spirit, the character of Jesus takes a hold of us. His fruit develops in our life. But as well as that, the things of Jesus, the passions of his heart, begin to enlarge ours. As we engage in this journey, as we become more like Jesus, we begin to grow in compassion. We begin to befriend those rejected by society. We begin to start turning some tables because of injustice. We begin to see that there is actually life, resurrection life in places that are looked upon by the world as dead. We begin to declare so boldly that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And secondly, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we get to experience more and more of his power. I've said it once and I'll say it again, just in case you think I'm a heretic. I would hate that to be the case. But all of us who trust Christ have already received the Holy Spirit. And yet... In the life of formation and encounter, we're invited to experience him more and to experience him with increasing depth. And as we experience the Holy Spirit more, we get to see and experience more of his power. And by power, I mean we get to see and taste the reality of what is possible through the activity of the Holy Spirit. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, puts it so helpfully. He is, in this quote, he is talking about taking a step out and praying for somebody, uh, praying a prophetic word over them, praying for healing, communicating the gospel. And he actually takes a step back and says that we need to begin by developing a practice of communion with the Father in which we are constantly asking, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How do you want to use me? I, I love this. We are invited to commune with God, to commune deeply with his spirit, with increasing depth of intimacy. And as we do that, we will begin to see that the miraculous is possible that things can change, that you can change, that people can experience Jesus. And as we begin to see that this is possible, we then begin to ask, okay, how do you want to use me? And then we step out and see change actually happen. As we walk in step with the Spirit, allow the heart of Jesus to be curated in your life. And allow the spirit to increase your capacity of what is possible with him. The final thing I want to say is this. It's got to do with faith. 
for, for us to be able to see the Holy Spirit use us and for the church to see remarkable kingdom change, it requires faith. Faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. And as Christians, we carry remarkable hope. We are awaiting a future city. It's going to be named Jerusalem that will take place at the renewal of all things. You can go home and read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. It's how the story ends. In this place, there will be the end of sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more division. There will be no more family breakdown. There will be no more injustice. We will be able to enjoy forever the culmination of that which began with Jesus' declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the kingdom of heaven is here and present amongst us. It is near. It is close. We, the church, live in this really interesting moment. You may have heard it called the now and the not yet where the realities of this future place can be known and experienced in part here and now. All that, I mean to say, is that impossible things can happen in Balanhinch. Impossible things can happen with your friends. Impossible things can happen in your workplace. Impossible situations can be turned around. It's available You have access to it. All you need is faith. Faith in the reality that Jesus is building his kingdom here. And let me finish with this. Do you have faith that God wants to use you in this? That he wants to use you in the same way that he used the apostles and the disciples of the early church? Faith that you can be involved in this remarkable movement of the kingdom of God. If there was anyone who was entitled to write themselves off, it was Peter. Peter, who in Mark 8 said that he set his eyes on things of man and not of God. He is the one that denied Jesus three times. And yet, in those short weeks, he committed himself to formation He grew close to Jesus. He heard again the call of follow me over breakfast on a beach. He gathered with the community because that was important to him. And he waited as Jesus had asked. And he begins to lead the disciples as they sub in another apostle. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter is filled. And in the midst of the crowd, he stands up. And preaches one of the greatest sermons that we will ever be able to hear. He preaches the gospel of Jesus. His resurrection. His ascension. And 3,000 people follow him. If there was anyone who was entitled to write themselves off, it was him. And yet, look what happened. Look what happens to somebody whenever they open themselves up to the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This quote is from a really boring commentary, but I love it. In Genesis 2, verse 7, the Spirit of God breathed life into dust and created a human being. And in Acts 2, 1 to 4, the Spirit has breathed life into a cowardly disciple and created a new man who now has the gift of bold speech. Because of what happened in Acts chapter 2, you are a new woman. You are a new man. You have received the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to stop limiting him. 
We need to stop limiting him. We need to stop limiting ourselves. We need to stop limiting the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and into our feelings, into our cowardice, into our shame, into our lack of confidence, our lack of faith, our humility, our false humility, into our small vision and into our fear. We have already received the Spirit of Christ. We are already new men and new women. We already are the new community of the King. So may you have faith to see that as it was with them so it is now with you pentecost is yours you have been empowered by the spirit of christ to feast on his presence to practice his way and to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come you my brothers and sisters are a temple of the holy spirit so walk in step with him let's stand together It's only right that in a morning where we're exploring the reality of the Holy Spirit, that we give time to not listen to me, but to listen to him. And so we're going to take a few minutes to respond. In a few minutes, we're going to sing together. But just in these moments, can I just invite us to wait on him? The Holy Spirit is alive, he is active, he is here in this room, he is present in your lives, and I think that there's things that he wants to say to you this morning. And I, as I've been praying for you this week, I have had this sense, and it's, it, we've already spoken about it this morning, of us limiting ourselves, holding ourselves back because of our expectations or because of our fear. And I believe that what God wants to do amongst us is allow us to experience the reality of his presence again. And so very simply, if you want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life again this morning, can I invite you to respond in the most simple of ways by simply just lifting your hands and just in that receiving position. And I'm going to just pray and just in the quiet of the room in the intimacy and the gentleness that the Holy Spirit operates in just whisper or even into yourself just begin to pray pray those prayers of I long for more of you in my life I long for more of you in my community. I'm hungry for you. Just begin just to pray those prayers for just a few moments. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you release your people to experience you afresh in a new way, with a new sense of depth 
a new sense of intimacy, a new sense of hunger. May these people come to know you more. May they come to become more like you, Lord Jesus. And may they be a part and equipped afresh to be able to bring the good news of Jesus to their communities, to their families and their friends. Would you increase in us, Holy Spirit, a hunger and a desire for more of you, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. My other sense as we've been gathering this morning is that for those of us who have limited ourselves from the things of God, that actually what he wants to do in us is birth confidence in who we are in him. And so Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would birth a deep, assured sense of confidence in who we are in you and what you have us for in this world. Lead us beyond fear, Holy Spirit, I pray. In the next few minutes, we're going to continue to respond. Um, and we're going to do that in two ways. Uh, one is we're going to gather together to sing. But as well as that, um, the prayer ministry team are going to be here and available for you. Um, if you have sensed, or even if you're hungry to experience more of the Spirit, can I invite you just to come forward and just to receive some prayer? All that the guys are doing is simply just blessing what Jesus is already doing in your life. Um, so as we begin to sing, can I just invite you just to come forward? They're going to be here and over here. Um, and just get some prayer as these guys bless what Jesus is doing. Continue as we sing to be open to hear his voice, to receive more from him. Um, so I'm going to have a